Support for My Fellow Kansans and the following message comes from the Kansas Leadership Center, publisher of the KLC Journal's 2018 Election Issues Edition, available October 5th at klcjournal.com, Amazon, and Watermark Books. Kansas Leadership Center, inspiration for the common good. If there's been one constant in Kansas politics for the last 30 years, it's that Republicans seeking statewide office must be unequivocally against abortion and for overturning Roe v. Wade. Any wavering, any change of heart is a vulnerability for opponents to exploit. But Chris Kobach, when he ran for the Kansas Senate, he said he was pro-choice. And that was when he was a constitutional lawyer for years who knew that that right to abortion was not in the U.S. Constitution. Knowing how potent the issue is in GOP politics, Governor Jeff Collier chose a key moment in one of the final debates of the primary campaign this summer to question Secretary of State Chris Kobach's anti-abortion credentials. Secretary Kobach. So uh, first of all, let's be clear, uh, Kansans for Life uh, gave an endorsement to me, and I will be honest, gave two endorsements. I also endorsed Governor Collier. I don't it wasn't the first time that Kobach had been forced to own up to his pro-choice past and affirm that he's since seen the light. Uh, yeah, I, after I graduated from law school, single man, I read all the cases, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, they had all these exceptions, and I thought, oh yeah, I guess these exceptions are okay. Then I got married, then I saw our first baby, Lily, in my wife Heather's womb, and I saw her little feet cycling, like she was riding a bicycle, and I said, wow, I've never seen this before. No one, no one in Yale Law School is showing ultrasounds to the law students. <laughs> And my views changed, because then if you realize that it is a human baby in the womb, then you can't make exceptions. None of the exceptions make sense anymore. I'm Jim McLean, and this is My Fellow Kansans, a podcast from the Kansas News Service. On this week's episode, we'll talk about the people and events that pushed Kansas politics to the right. In particular, the event that virtually everyone agrees triggered the shift summer of mercy abortion protests that gripped the city of Wichita in 1991. Stepping priest was arrested as were praying women clutching pictures of dead fetuses. We're just trying to save babies. We'll talk to people who were there and recount how the protests energized conservatives, fueled their takeover of the Kansas Republican Party and eventually the State House, culminating in Sam Brownback's election as governor in 2010. So with faith in God and the good people of Kansas, Jeff Collier and I accept your election to be Lieutenant Governor and Governor of this great state of Kansas. Brownback, of course, is now gone, but the conservative coalition that propelled him to the governor's mansion remains a force, a big one, in Kansas politics. And the anti-abortion faction is squarely behind Republican Chris Kobach in this year's race for governor. Let's take a step back just for a minute. The Summer of Mercy in 1991 wasn't the first time abortion was a flashpoint in Kansas. In 1974, a Democratic congressman, a Topeka obstetrician, campaigned against the sitting Republican senator, Bob Dole, with a fiscally conservative message. Bill Roy believes the rest of the nation can take a lesson from Kansas. You can have progressive government and government that meets the needs of people without increasing income taxes or sales taxes or other taxes every year. We haven't done that here. 
and I think we've had good government. Dr. Bill Roy, a respected voice for Kansas. Roy had performed a handful of abortions as an Air Force doctor, but nobody predicted that would weigh heavily in the Senate race. At the time, Kansas's abortion laws were some of the most liberal in the nation, and the polls had the congressman well ahead of Dole in the final week of the campaign. But the Roe v. Wade decision two years earlier was starting to make abortion a more visible and contentious issue, and the Dole campaign went after it. The Dole campaign is smearing Bill Roy. Leaflets called Roy an abortioner and identified Dole as pro-life. He slanders Roy's good record in the Air Force. Hate materials against Bill Roy appear in the newspaper and on the streets. Roy called it dirty politics, but in a 2007 oral history, he remembered the last-minute flurry of accusations as what turned the tide in the election. Because on the Sunday before, the conservative churches and the Catholic churches had been leafleted on Bill Roy's abortions. And uh, in other words, there's no question in my mind I would have beaten him by 50,000 votes without that. Still, it wasn't until a couple of decades later that the power of the abortion issue really became apparent, even to Roy. I won't tell you abortion is not a legitimate political issue. I don't think I knew it in the early months before election as much as I know it now. But as I said, abortion equals the Christian right, equals the Republican Party. We follow Jesus. Protesters with the Pro-Life Action Network started the day at another clinic for women across town, carrying tombstone-shaped placards under the watchful eye of police. Their goal, to stop Dr. George Tiller from performing abortions. The 1991 Summer of Mercy abortion protests, staged by Randall Terry, the flamboyant leader of Operation Rescue, tied the city of Wichita in knots for weeks. Our next move is to continue to do all that we can to save the children in this town that are scheduled to die and to encourage people to settle in for the long haul. Terry picked Wichita because of George Tiller, a former Navy flight surgeon who was one of a relative few doctors across the country who did late-term abortions. This is the capital of the late-term abortion with Dr. George Tiller, affectionately known as Tiller the Killer around the country among pro-lifers. Night after night, there was footage on the network news of protesters locking themselves to clinic gates and lying on the hot pavement to block traffic. Well, Mark, the group known as Operation Rescue has pledged to block the gates of this clinic around the clock for the rest of the week. You're ready for war! You're ready for the enemy! You're ready for we had a gentleman, an anti-choice protester, who you locked himself by the neck to our front doors. I kept thinking, oh my goodness, if, if his feet were to come out from underneath him, he would strangle himself. And it was so hot, the pavement, if you can imagine when it's over 100 degrees, what that was like. But these people had come prepared and they had ice water in jugs and they were dumping the water onto the street so they wouldn't to burn cool themselves. <laughs> yeah. Operation Rescue has targeted Wichita with virtually all of its resources, hoping to establish an anti-abortion beachhead in the heartland. It was a spectacle that captured the nation's attention and that of talk show host Phil Donahue. This is the city that has found itself on the front page of every newspaper in the world in recent weeks. This is also a city of very civic, compassionate, generous, proud Americans. This is Wichita, Kansas. You were there. Yes, I was for all 46, well, 45 of the 46 days I, I covered. Judy Thomas covered the protests for the Wichita Eagle. 
and later co-authored a book about the anti-abortion movement. She vividly recalled the event, particularly the first few days when protesters and police were sizing one another up. The police chief had instructions not to get physical with them. or With they, the demonstrators. Exactly, mm-hmm. with the demonstrators. And so they would let them, they called them baby steps, and then it got termed the Wichita walk. They would take little baby steps, and the police would allow them to do that as long as they were moving. One time it took 26 hours to clear the gates. So let me understand this. I mean, you have these people (laughs) physically blocking the entrance, and they're not stationary. They're taking these little bitty Mm -hmm. baby steps, but really not going anywhere. Right. Right. And so while they're they're being hauled off. Police used two city buses and a rental truck. They had to bring out buses. They brought out rider trucks or rental vans one day because there were so many protesters to haul off. Who had to be carried like this former Las Vegas police officer went to the county to be booked. When he arrived on the scene that first week, Terry, the operation rescue leader, seized on a tactical mistake by the Wichita police to inflame public opinion. Do you believe that excessive force was used? Definitely. The police showed up on horseback, long, mm-hmm. and boy, was that a scene. It really was a, a, like a melee. And those horses waded into the crowd in a way that was completely unnecessary and completely unprofessional. Uh, one protester got arrested for, he was trying to stir the horses up. And the scenes looked pretty bad on TV because the horses were in there and they were startled. As we are told, a woman came here for services at the Wichita Planning Clinic, and she was following horses through when a little riot evolved here out on the streets. Julie Burkhart was a college student uh, working that summer at one of Wichita's three clinics. I mean, we had protesters day in, day out. We had blockades. We had people coming into the clinic. Um, We had our windows knocked out. Um, Bricks, rocks were thrown through our windows. Um, Bomb threats. So... As a staff, did you feel under siege? Yes, very much so. Yes. A steady stream of clinic workers and patients were then escorted into the facility. All we're looking for is to have uninterrupted access to uh, Dr. Tiller's own private property. There were nights we spent the night in the clinic. There were also days when we would start clinic well before dawn. Um, to beat the anti-choice protesters to the clinic so we could get women in more easily. Many of the protesters were staying at the same hotel, and Thomas says they would conclude every day with a combination political rally and worship service. Every night they would have rallies back at the Wichita Plaza Hotel, and they'd all congregate there, and they'd have, you know, Randall Terry or whoever, one of the leaders would get up and speak, and, and they'd sing, and they'd, they'd talk about what happened today and things like that. We have to keep our minds and and our hearts focused on what we're doing. At the back of the room, they had long tables back there, and, you know, they were selling, you know, pro-life literature and things like that. But they also were signing people up. Signing people up to run for Republican precinct slots, low-level positions that often go unfilled because the duties are a grind, canvassing neighborhoods and getting people out to vote. But when Election Day rolled around in 1992, Most of the anti-abortion activists who had signed up to run for precinct slots, well, they won. And they quickly used their newfound power to take over the Sedgwick County Republican Party. Dot Meyer was the moderate Republican who was chairman at the time, and she resigned when she realized that there was going to be a coup. And I'll tell you, going to that meeting that night, 
It was amazing because I'm sitting in there and I'm looking around and like half the room was people I'd seen out at the clinics getting arrested. There were a ton of them that had been arrested and now they're precinct committee people. Not only did they take control of that party, uh, but the anti-abortion factions took over, I think it was four of the five biggest counties in Kansas after that. The protests are pretty much what got people out of the pews, into the streets, and then into the political arena. Meyer's resignation made way for Mark Geetson to become the new county chair. He was a guy who settled in Wichita by chance in 1978. He was just passing through Kansas on his way to North Dakota to a wedding and noticed that he was running low on gas. I just thought, well, you know, I could make it up to Salina, which in those days I was pronouncing Salina. And uh, I thought, well, you know, you hate to drive when it's down to like an eighth of a tank and you're wondering, am I going to make it or not? So I said, all right, I'll just pull in here. So spur of the moment idea, I pulled in right across from Boeing and had no intention of working there. But when I was topping off the tank, I thought, well, you know, maybe uh, maybe I ought to look and see uh, what they're paying at Boeing. The pay was good, so he applied for and got that job. And he got involved in Wichita's anti-abortion movement really before it was much of a movement. You know, I'm from a large family in North Dakota, and my uh, mom and dad uh, were very active in North Dakota Right to Life and the, the whole Right to Life organization, which was just growing in North Dakota, mostly because of my mom and dad. You know, that's why, you know, I knew what it meant, you know. And and so we had um, uh, Right to Life of Kansas was mostly Overland Park, Kansas City, and really wasn't a whole lot going on here because this was such a Democrat stronghold. Well, that started to change in the 80s with the election of President Ronald Reagan. But it was those protests in the summer of 91 that finally flipped the politics in Wichita and Sedgwick County and Geetson was one of the people who made it happen. The day we talked to him, he was protesting outside what used to be Tiller's Clinic. The, the point that the Summer of Mercy changed the political landscape of Kansas is 100% true, and you're standing on the ground where it happened. I was out here with a three-ring binder, a notepad, and I want your name, and if, you know, if you're willing to stand on the street and you know, stop cars and, and you know, tell them not to have an abortion and so on, why don't you give me one or two hours a month and at least vote at the precinct level? They'll say, well, I don't know what a precinct committee man or woman is. And I'm saying, it's perfect. You're the guy I need, or you're the woman I need. And so I would sign up these people. And Okay, now why was that important though? Why, why because, were you doing that? Because it only makes sense. You know, these people were so riled up. They were ready to, you know, have the French Revolution all they over to do again. Something. They wanted to, you know, they were ready to come out with the pitchforks. You know, we had the farmers with the tractors once and all that. You know, we they were they were ready to break the law, whatever it took, we're gonna not let them kill this baby. And I admire that. I like that. But it's much smarter and wiser to, to do it within the law. You don't have a revolution when you have a constitution that allows you to elect who you want, to to you know, to do the right thing. The only reason we have abortion is because we've allowed it. They didn't force the, actually the Supreme Court did force it on us, but we had a way of correcting that. You filled those precinct positions. Yeah. And pretty quickly after that, those It protests, was so fascinating how good that worked. I had no idea. It was the most successful thing I ever did. Because you started electing legislators, yeah, we, anti-abortion legislators, it, right off the bat. It was the most successful thing I ever did. I had no idea it would be that easy. Then I became county chairman. And, and when I was county chairman, then we became very strong. 
strong enough, says Kansas Senate President Susan Wagle, to immediately start winning seats in the legislature. Well, the next election, the House went Republican again. And then in 94 was the sweep. We just, the conservatives won the entire House of Representatives. And we threw out the speaker. And Tim Schallenberger became speaker, and I became speaker pro tem. Tim Schallenberger, a conservative Republican from southeast Kansas, would go on to run for governor in 2002. He lost to Democrat Kathleen Sebelius. Still, his election as speaker was one in a series of turning points that eventually led to conservatives taking control of the state house. Their strength building, anti-abortion lawmakers started passing laws to restrict the procedure. Laws requiring parental consent, a 24-hour waiting period, and tougher licensing standards. They also mandated ultrasounds for women seeking abortions. The goal, says Mary Kay Culp, the leader of Kansans for Life, was to step-by-step reduce the number of abortions performed in Kansas, particularly late-term abortions. When Roe v.ersus Wade came out, there was a, it had with it what is called a strict scrutiny review. Any state law that was passed had to meet this strict scrutiny review, and most of them didn't make it. What has happened over the years is they changed that, that legal review to an undue burden. As long as the law, state law, is not an undue burden to a woman, it can stand. Well, in Kansas, we have reduced abortions by half by passing laws that met the undue burden standard. There were other byproducts of the anti-abortion movement in Kansas, according to Julie Burkhardt. In 1991, remember, she was a college student working a summer job at one of the Wichita clinics. The experience stuck with her. And 10 years later, she returned to work with Dr. Tiller. So I'd been living in the Northwest and came back, and I met Dr. Tiller in the spring of 2001. And then I started working um, directly for him in July of 2002. Doing what exactly? Um, I built and ran the, uh, the political action committee that he founded, Pro Can Do. While Burkhart was trying to elect lawmakers committed to holding the line on abortion rights, Phil Klein was emerging as a political force in Kansas. A conservative lawmaker from Johnson County, Klein shocked the political establishment by winning the attorney general's race in 2002. And Klein, he was an anti-abortion crusader. We are destroying a nation. For at its very core, abortion is sin. Here he is addressing a National Right to Life convention. And sin always begins with a lie. Because the woman who is frightened and terrified and forced into an abortion by a a father who does not care lays on a table. And when the moment occurs, knows that she has participated in ending a life. The moment he was elected, you know, the floodgates really opened. As Klein told an interviewer at the Values Voter Summit in 2008, he thought the way to stop abortion was to prosecute providers. Dr. Tiller has performed abortions, justifying them under Kansas law for things such as, uh, I won't be able to compete in rodeo or I don't want to hire a babysitter. They mock the law because they know that those who have the duty to enforce it will ignore it. Klein went after medical records from Tiller's clinic. Abortion rights advocates called it a witch hunt. 
The charges were ultimately dropped, but it gave conservative pundits the talking points they needed. Things got more intense, Burkhardt says, more hostile. Threats on Dr. Tiller's life were on the rise. You know, I look at Phil Klein's actions and the person who assassinated Dr. Tiller. Those two people, in my mind, are intertwined. I mean, you can only talk about somebody being a killer for so long and using very violent language before someone is going to take action. Dr. Tiller himself knew the risks. There are probably more physicians who get shot working in an emergency room than there are abortion clinics. There are all sorts of dangers. Postal workers, firemen, police officers, everything has a risk to it. I would prefer, personally, to have a challenging, stimulating, emotionally and spiritually rewarding uh, career that is short rather than have a long one that is filled with ho-hum, mundane, mediocrity, feeling as if you don't make any difference to people. George Tiller was shot and killed in his church on Sunday, May 31st, 2009. Anti-abortion activist Scott Roeder was convicted of his murder and sentenced to 25 years in prison. Kansas anti-abortion advocates condemned Tiller's murder. Still, the political battle remained intense. And the very next year, anti-abortion activists got what they had always wanted. Sam Brownback became the first hard-right conservative elected governor of Kansas. Governor, welcome. Thank you. It was 2010, and Brownback was on top of the political heat, with his sights set on transforming Kansas into a conservative utopia, a model for the rest of the nation. If I haven't made it clear, the days of ever-expanding government are over. But it didn't last. How the failure of Brownback's red state experiment led to a backlash at the ballot box. That's next time on My Fellow Kansans. Do you remember the Summer of Mercy? We want to hear about your experience. What do you remember? How did it impact your life? Record a voice memo on your smartphone and send your story to kansasnewsservice at gmail.com. Or leave us a message at 816-235-8930. My Fellow Kansans is a production of the Kansas News Service, a collaboration of public radio stations across the state. The podcast is written and reported by Jim McLean, edited by Amy Jeffries, and mixed by Matthew Long Middleton. The production team includes Beth Golay, Nadia Foe, Scott Cannon, and me, Grace Lotz. Primary Color Music composed our theme. Madeline Fox contributed to this episode. Trust Women and Special Collections at the Wichita State University Library provided archival audio in this episode. Special thanks to Neil Carruth of NPR and the NPR training team. If you liked this episode, leave us a review. It helps other people find our podcast. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at KS News Service.